Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Starship Sofa. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to Oral Delight on a Wednesday night. I hope everyone is fine and well, fine and dandy. Yes, a nice show this evening we certainly have. Stories today come from... Matthew Sanborn-Smith, a little bit of flash fiction there for you, and Mary Rosenblum. But first... Interstellar Tract, after William Carlos Williams, by Bruce Boston. I will teach you, my Earth people, how to perform a star flight, for you have it over a troop of astronauts, unless one should scour the system. You have the space sense necessary. See? Imagination leads. I will begin with a design for a ship. For Saul's sake, not streamlined, nor silver either, and not polished. Let it be weathered and familiar, as full of natural color as the world it leaves behind. And let us have glass on all sides. Yes, windows, my earth people. To what purpose? So we might see the stars streak in the wake of our light-speed passage, so we might watch our past shrink and our future swell before us. No plastics, please, and if there must be steel, for Clark's sake, keep it covered. Fill the corridors with earth which gives beneath our feet, where grass can begin to grow. Plaster the walls and panels with murals of your own making, or common mementos from the past, a favorite poem or photograph, an old poster, a dried flower. You know the things I mean, my earth people. Better still, no corridors at all, no cramped cabins to fold us in, rather a vast and open space spun for gravity, where our thoughts may freely flow, with a river known for its warmth, a forest or two, so we can build homes of our own choice. A rough and natural ship, then, a miniature earth, still clean, green and blue and full of clouds, if you can imagine such a thing. And for light, no glowing tubes that turn the skin a sickly hue, but the passing stars themselves, magnified by sufficient art and craft to rival the lumens of our sun. As to the bridge and crew, bring them down, bring them down. A navigator, perhaps, to help plot our course between systems, but no communications officer to turn our varied voices into one, no strutting Captain King leading us through the cosmos, calling our ship his ship. Let the controls remain simple. For what reason? 
so any man or woman can learn to master them, so every one of us might take a turn at the board and have a hand in making our destination. And finally, each sidereal cycle, let us sit openly with each other, side by side beneath the trees, my earth people, as we conspire to save the best in our origins and leave the worst behind. You have nothing to lose. Believe me, the stars will fill your pockets. Go ahead now. I think you are ready for flight. First appeared in Polly, New Speculative Writing, Ocean View Books, 1989. Just like to say thank you, Mr. Bruce Boston, for that poem. Bruce Boston has a new book out, The Gardener's Tale. There will be a link on the site to that if you just like to go straight over there and have a look. The Gardener's Tale was Bram Stoker Award finalist and a Prometheus Award nominee. So please check out Bruce Boston, the link on the website. It'll take you to his site. Narration today is by good friend Julie Davis. Julie Davis runs the podcast Forgotten Classics. Julie, thank you so much. Do pop over to Julie's site and check out what Julie does over there, much appreciated. So this show today is the first one that actually comes under the the wing of the Starship Sofa's roundtable discussions. And what we do discuss is Matthew Sanborn-Smith. Matthew, thank you very much for this. Sunday Dinner by Matthew Sanborn-Smith Troy spent the days in the library, in a squared-off chair of wood and yellow vinyl, driving himself insane. The place smelled dusty, and the old air was thicker than outside. But things were a little better here in periodicals. His resident spot was in full view of a plastic bust of Poe, alongside the yellowing microfiche machine. Josie had let him in. He was first through the door. Troy's torn and patchy backpack played its role as placekeeper at his seat while he set to work. Out came his crumpled handwritten list. Bon Appetit, April 2012, page 77. The issue had made its way onto the archive shelves, which saddened him. It was old and losing its scent. He flipped through the issue and found the ad he wanted. It wasn't even a food ad. It was an ad for a convection oven. But the oven-baked cookies, chocolate chip. Troy held the magazine away from him for a moment, took a big whiff of stale library air, and let it out slowly. Then he buried his head in the issue and inhaled through his nose. There it was. It grew faint, and this might be the last day he left the magazine on his list. But for right now... He caught the melty, oily aroma of the chocolate seeping into the still, softish dough. Jesus, he whispered. O Magazine, January 2014, page 133. This one was still on the stand. McDonald's French fries. Hot and greasy and salty. He remembered how the bag felt when they came right out of the deep fry, the paper the only thing between him and a first-degree burn. He took another smell and tried hard to remember it for later. Josie walked by, and Troy acted like he was reading the ad. 
Well, she knew, and he knew, but he couldn't bring himself to indulge right there in front of her. His cruddy fingernail ran down the list. He wanted to save the best one for just before breakfast. Ladies' Home Journal, November 2013, page 42. The picture was a dinner table set for a party with a huge roast on a platter in front of an autumnal centerpiece of brown and orange. Troy's mouth watered just looking at it. He sniffed hard and loud like his cousin Lena used to snort coke. It all rushed in. Sunday dinner at his mother's house on Long Island. The steaming, juicy roast. The margarine on the mashed potatoes. Even the peas smelled good, and he didn't used to like peas. But he hadn't tasted anything like his mother's cooking since he left home twenty-odd years ago. Troy's eyes were wet. He concentrated and snorted again. And then he put the magazine back and grabbed his pack and headed for the door. Not too fast. Otherwise, they might think he took something. On the library steps over by the skinny, bare trees, he sat and opened his can of tuna. It was an old, high-mercury albacore they couldn't sell in the grocery stores anymore, but he could still get them at the shelters. He thought about the roast. Troy put himself back in the library just two minutes before and felt the magazine in his hands, and he remembered. He really remembered until his mouth watered once more. He shut his eyes tight and scooped the tuna into his mouth, and he brought back the smell and maybe even the taste of that roast just like his mother's Sunday dinners when he was a kid. Christ, he thought, the cold wind a million miles away. What could be better than this? Matthew, thank you very much for sending that story. Please, I hope you will all have a listen to the roundtable discussion as well, where we take it apart, Matt. <laughs> no, honest, I'd, I'm really pleased about that because it's it's one of the things, you know, I was asking for flash fictions from everyone that listens. And Matt was one of the first a while ago who sent that story in. And, you know, that could be you. Send some stories in, please. I think I'm going to actually up the, the word countage now, and it will be round about 1,500. <laughs> what else am I going to do to get some stories off you? 1,500 works out about 10 minutes. So if you've got a short story that kind of blurs the edges or, you know, science fiction, fantasy, touch of horror, not too much horror. I'm, I'm scared of the dark. I bloody am, you know, to be quite honest. I'll, I'll go in that another year. There's too much there to tell you now. So, Matthew, thank you very much for that short story. Just if anyone wants to know a little bit about Matthew Sanborn-Smith, born and raised in southern New England and has lived in South Florida for the best part of 20 years. Married and has two children. His work has appeared in Changeling Destiny and Albedo One. And you can find Matt at his blog, The 1000 Blogspot. And I've also got... Matt is had some work published in another magazine and I couldn't actually say this name of his magazine so I says Matt send us an mp3 over of what it so what the hell the name is of this magazine so this is Matt 
Hey, Tony, this is Matt. Um, okay, I have trouble with this myself. The magazine is pronounced Chiaroscuro. Chiaroscuro. That's it. I didn't name the bloody thing. But there you go. Matt, thank you so much, honestly. That would not have come out like that if it was left up to me to see it. So when you see it actually spelled out, you're thinking, what on earth is that? So, Matt, thank you very much. Narration for that grand fine tale is by Dale Manley. Dale Manley is caffeine-fueled deadline junkie, which is to say he's actually a rider and artist living on the Oregon coast. Dale, it's nice of that you got in touch with me via, you know, I put a little play out there. Dale got in touch and says, I'll do some narration for you. Dale, fantastic. And, you know, as I normally do, we got a whole load more. <laughs> Dale, thanks a lot. So we come on to our main piece of fiction tonight by Mary Rosenblum. Mary has published eight novels and more than 60 short stories with major magazines since 1990, being a Hugo finalist and winner of the Compton Crook Award, as well as shortlisted for a bunch of other awards. She lives and writes on country acreage, where she also trains dogs for tracking and sheep herding trials. Her novel Horizon from Tor Books is available at bookstores, and the Drylands Collection Water Rights is available from Fairwood Press. And actually what Mary says about the Rainmaker is one of her dryland stories. The stories that look at the intersection of civilization and environment as the climate changes and the certainties we grew up with no longer apply. I always felt that this was where you'd find magic in those places of stress. And Mary, thank you so much. So without further ado, Starship Sofa and her oral delights presents The Rain Man by Mary Rosenblum So he's a fraud, Dad said. Well, you ever heard of a genuine rainmaker? Uncle Kenny cut a neat triangle out of his stack of pancakes. Sandy, I swear these could be Mom's hotcakes. I never could get them right. He'd say anything for a free breakfast, little brother. Mom ruffled his hair the way she does mine and she flipped three more of the brown cakes onto a plate. Better eat these, Donnie, before your uncle takes me out of them. So how come you don't arrest this man, if he's a fraud? You're the sheriff. She planted her hands on her hips. It's a crime cheating folks round here. Who's any money to waste with the cattle market so bad? We sure as hell don't, Dad pushed his chair back. Gotta check those heifers. He reached for his hat. We're gonna run out of pasture in about two weeks, he said in a tired voice. Guess I'll have to ship a bunch out, in spite of the beef prices. Once they start losing weight, I won't get squat for them anyhow. Hey, you can hire this rainmaker. Uncle Kenny speared the last stick full of pancakes and wiped the syrup from his plate with it. Maybe I will. Dad wasn't smiling. For a moment he held Uncle Kenny's narrow stare and then he turned away. My uncle shook his head. John sounds like he wants to get religion, he laughed. Don't, Kenny. Mum was collecting dishes. It's tough right now. It's always tough for a minute. This rainmaker dude is slick. He changed the subject abruptly. He doesn't promise anything, doesn't write anything down anyway. If folks want to be stupid and give him money, it's not a crime. He's trading on faith. Mom's face had gotten tight. That's a sin, even if it's not a crime. I agree with you, sis. Uncle Kenny sighed and kissed her as he got to his feet. Wish you made the laws. So, Donny boy, he grinned down at me. You ready to ride? 
Mom was looking at me, and I had to say yes. I'd been just about willing to kill to ride with Uncle Kenny sitting shotgun beside him as he tooled the green-white sheriff's department chief through the sage that was mostly what makes up Harney County. Everybody liked Uncle Kenny. It used to make me feel real important seeing how respectful everyone treated him. I licked my lips, trying to think of an excuse not to go. Sure, I finally said and pretended not to notice Mom's eyes getting narrow. You'd make a good deputy, kid. He slapped me on the shoulder, hard enough for it to hurt. Let's go. Uncle Kenny put his sunglasses on when he got into the car. I didn't say much as we drove back into town. It was hot, and I had the window down all the way, but the July heat washed over me, making me hotter. There isn't much to Burns. The high school, a few streets on either side of Highway 20, a lot of sage beyond that, and gray-green clumps. You got rocks, too, and dust the color of a buckskin Mustang's hide. I know there are cities out there, Bend, Portland, Seattle. I've been to Bend, but they don't seem all that real most of the time. No more than the pictures of Calcutta or Hong Kong in our global studies book are real. You're talkative, Uncle Kenny said after a while. Can't shut you up for a second. Something eating at you, Donny boy? No, sir. I could feel his eyes on me, but I, I couldn't stop looking out the window. Maybe we need to talk, he said in a real quiet voice. I sneaked a quick look at him then, and yeah, yeah, he was looking at me. I stared at my twin faces in the mirrored surface of his glasses and my stomach kind of folded in on itself so I could feel the lump of pancakes I'd eaten. Then his head jerked a little and he turned sharp without warning so that I had to grab the door. We were pulling into the parking lot in the motel across the street from the high school, tires squealing. No siren. This was Wednesday in late June. The lot should have been emptied too early in the day for the truckers to be stopping or the tourists passing through on their way to somewhere else. But it was full. So full that Uncle Kenny pulled up behind two big rigs slantwise, not even bothering to look for a parking space. A green and orange patio umbrella stuck up over the crowd at the back of the lot, out where the asphalt left off and the sage began. Everybody was back there, crowding around like it was a booth at the country fair. Let's go, Dunny. Uncle Kenny threw off his seatbelt like he was mad. Time to further your education. Relieved, I scrambled out after, wondering if I could find someone I knew and get myself invited home for the afternoon. Uncle Kenny would buy that. The crowd around the umbrella parted to let my uncle through, and I followed, looking hard for a face. Any face. I saw a bunch of people I knew. Mr. Frankie, who managed the thrift way, and the lady who always worked the cash register at the Payless. No kids, though. Then I saw Mrs. Kramer, my global studies teacher. I stopped short like I was skipping school, even though it was summer. It made me feel funny, seeing her there in blue jeans like anybody with my uncle pushing past her. We believe in the world we experience when we're children. A man's rich voice rose over the murmur of the crowd. It sounded like velvet feels, and it sent shivers down my back. We don't question that experience. We simply accept it. But as we grow up, we learn to doubt to disbelieve the things that once were clearly real. When we were children, we knew that we could summon the rain or wish it away. I don't remember I could make it rain, Mrs. Kramer spoke up crisply. She was using her late homework tone and I craned my neck trying to see. 
because I, I bet that guy was cringing. We change our memory of yesterday to suit what we believe today. The man sounded like he was smiling. You don't really need me. But if you can't bring the rain yourselves, you can pay me to do it. I forgot about Uncle Kenny and pushed forward, not even noticing who I was shouldering past. The man's words made me shiver again, inside this time, like taking too deep a breath of frosty winter air. I was waiting for Mrs. Kramer to cut him off at the knees like she does when you tell her the dog ate your homework, but she didn't say anything. You got a vendor permit, mister? Uncle Kenny spoke quietly, but everybody stopped talking right away. He was like that. He could walk into a noisy bar and talk in a normal voice, and everybody would shut up to hear him. You gotta have a permit to peddle stuff in this town. He stepped forward, and I could see the stranger now, squinting from the umbrella shade. He didn't look like he sounded. He was small, kind of soft and pudgy, with a round, sweaty face and thin black hair combed across a bear patch on top. I was disappointed, I guess. I'm sorry, Sheriff, he spread his hands. I didn't know I needed a permit just to talk. Folks work hard for the money around here. My uncle hooked his thumbs in his gun belt. The government takes a big bite, and maybe if beef prices are high enough, we can pay the mortgage and feed our kids on what's left. He paused, looking around at the faces that surrounded him. Everybody had moved back a little, making a ring, like you do when there's a fight out behind the gym. What you do should be against the law. It isn't. But we don't have to put up with your slammy kind. He let his fingers curl loosely over the top of his holstered forty-four. The little man nodded at the gun, his lips pursed. Are you threatening to beat me up or shoot me? He asked mildly. The silence around us got real tight and I looked away thinking of the winter night when I had watched through the steamed-up windshield as Uncle Kenny beat this ranch hand who'd been starting a lot of ugly bar fights in town. Sometimes you gotta know the right language, he'd said when he returned to the car. He'd wiped the blood from his hands carefully on the towel he kept under his seat. Jail doesn't scare this guy much, but now he'll mind his manners. I'm just trying to save him from knifing some tourist one night and, and getting himself a prison sentence for it. I'd been impressed... I watched my uncle's lips tighten. Tell you what, he said in a hard voice. You're so sure of yourself, Mr. Rainmaker. Let's make a little wager. You make it rain on my place, I'll pay triple your fee. He tilted his head back slowly to stare at the sky. Not a cloud anywhere, not even a wisp of cirrus. It don't rain, then you pay me your fee. Move on, and don't ever set foot in Harney County again. He lowered his head, his eyes as hard as the sky. You willing to put hard cash on the line, Rainmaker? Whatever you want, the man shrugged. But I don't make rain. I just call it. How about you call it right now? I can't start right now. The Rainmaker pursed his lips into a little frown. It takes time for weather to happen. I don't do Hollywood special effects. We're talking a shift in the jet stream, cold fronts and warm fronts, big masses of air and moisture. Takes time to move that much around. Yeah, gotcha. Uncle Kenny turned around slow, talking to the crowd now. So if it rains sometime next Christmas, you did it, he winked. That how it work? People laughed, but the clear 
Space got bigger around the umbrella and the little man. Only Mrs. Kramer didn't move. I don't think my cows can wait till Christmas, someone called out. Oh, it won't take that long, the man answered solemnly, as if Uncle Kenny had asked a real question. A couple of days, maybe four. He shrugged. When it gets close, I'll let you know. And it'll rain right on my land, huh? Just there. Why not our south pasture, I spoke up. Grass would sprout in a couple of days back there if it rained. Dad could put the heifers in instead of selling them. I looked at my uncle. You don't have any cattle. You don't need the rain. Good idea, Hiram Belker, our neighbor to the east, spoke up from the crowd. Maybe some of that water will land on my back 40. <laughs> he guffawed and was answered by more laughter. Why not? Uncle Kenny slid his sunglasses into place and turned his shiny mirror gazed on me. Hell, do my poor brother-in-law a favor. We'll make it a public event. I'll put up a notice on the bulletin board in the courthouse lobby when our wizard here decide the rain's coming. We can party. He grinned around the crowd. Don't forget your umbrellas, folks. He turned away, and people turned with him, like he'd given an order. I looked to see if the rainmaker was mad about that, but he just looked tired. He noticed me and gave me a small smile. I started to smile back, then flinched as my uncle's hand landed heavy on my shoulder. How about we get a burger, Donny boy? We can watch for the clouds to show up. It's kind of early for lunch. My voice sounded squeaky. He opened his mouth to reply, but just then one of his deputies tapped him on the shoulder. Kenny! Pete Carter just called. He shook a Marlboro out of the squash pack in his uniform pocket. You'll never guess what he found out in the sage out on his summer range over by Whitehorse Creek. The Rojas kid's old beater. No kidding. Uncle Kenny pushed his hat back on his head. Thought Rojas took off to Mexico way back in November to visit his mama or something. Did Pete find a body? The deputy lit his cigarette, dragged on it, and shook his head. Coyotes had all winter, he said, blowing smoke. Guess we better go see, Uncle Kenny said to me. Excuse me, the rainmaker cleared his throat. I don't know my way around here. He brushed dust carefully from his gray slacks that looked prissy alongside the jeans everybody else pretty much wore. Perhaps your nephew could show me where you expect this rain to fall, or, or are you free to escort me? Sure, I said, before Uncle Kenny could say anything. I'll show you. Uncle Kenny gave me a hard stare, then shrugged and spat. Whatever you want, kid. He turned his back on us and walked off with his deputy. The motel lot was almost empty now. The crowd had left a scatter of crumpled burger wrappers, pop cups, and cigarette butts to make sure where it had been. I remembered our one trip to the beach when I was eight, how the tide had left the same litter of seaweed, trash, and broken shells on the clean white sand. I'd found a dead seal all bloated with empty eye sockets and grinning yellow teeth. What's your name? The rainmaker was looking at me with this thoughtful sort of expression. Donald, I said. Dimitri. He offered me a pudgy hand and I shook it solemnly. Dimitri sounded foreign, Russian or something. Summer hours are precious ones, he went on. Thank you for giving up a few of them for me. Here. He handed me the folded umbrella, nodded at a dusty blue Dodge Caravan, parked on the far side of the lot. It wasn't a good car for the desert, but when he opened the back, I saw camping gear, some canned stuff in a box, and a couple of five-gallon water jugs, full. Okay, he wasn't stupid anyway. I got into the front seat beside him, wondering how he'd explain it when the rain didn't come. 
What? I said when he just sat there waiting. Your seatbelt? I buckled it. Only Mom ever nagged me about the seatbelt. Left on Highway 20, I said. Take the first right after the gas station. He turned the key, frowned as the engine spluttered. When it finally caught, he gunned it and pulled out of the motel lot. Clogged fuel injectors, I wanted to tell him. Pour some cleaner into the gas tank before you have to pay to get them fixed. Turn here, I said, when we got to the track that led back to our spring pasture. I'll get the gate. When I climbed back into the front seat, the rainmaker was looking at me thoughtfully. Your uncle, the sheriff, is quite a big man around here, he said. Yeah, Uncle Kenny wasn't any taller than me, but I didn't think the rainmaker was talking about height. Kind of a local hero, huh? I guess. We were bouncing slowly along the track. Something metal was rattling in the back. Pots and pans sounded like. Do you really call the weather? I licked my dry lips, wishing he'd go faster so we'd get a breeze. Or are you a phony? That's a refreshingly direct question, the rainmaker chuckled. Your uncle thinks I'm a phony. We topped a rise and the rainmaker halted the car. Turned off the engine and opened the door. This feels like a good place, he said. He walked away from me and stopped right in the edge of the slope. A pronghorn lifted her head from the sage, eyed us for a second and trotted slowly away, her white sides flashing in the scorching sun. I wiped my face on my sleeve. I swear, the rainmaker wasn't even sweating. He stood there, looking like he belonged in a city corner, just staring out at the distant horizon. This time of year, dry as it was, there wasn't any grass left to speak of, just sage and greasewood and rabbit brush. I got out, too, thinking this was stupid, that this guy was a scam, and he'd wave his hands around and then sneak off when nobody was looking. And I realized I was thinking all this in my uncle's voice. So I quit and just listened to the desert. It talks, you know. Real quiet. The sound of dust sifting against rock and wind whispering through the sage stems, sand shifting under a mule deer's hoof or a jackrabbit's paws. It doesn't notice us much. I told mom once about the desert talking. It bothered her, so I didn't bring it up after that. The rainmaker stood there in the blazing sun, arms at his side, just staring into space with this kind of distant look on his face. And for a moment, just a few seconds, I guess, I thought I felt something. It was like the, the air got solid. I don't mean I couldn't breathe or anything, but it was like, like I could feel it. The air could feel the clouds in it, hung up and, and leaking on the Cascade Mountains, could feel the cool dampness beyond them where all that water evaporating from the summer ocean was pushing inward. A ground squirrel scuttled across the ground, nearly over my toes. I jumped back, startled, and lost the feeling. Figured I'd just imagined it. I kicked a shower of dust after the vanished critter, looked up to see the rainmaker smiling at me. Tomorrow evening, he said. We're lucky. There's a weakening in the high pressure ridge along the mountains. I nodded and swallowed, because his eyes were all of a sudden older even than old Mr. Long's, and he was a hundred and two. The rainmaker looked over the sage again, and now he just looked sad. It's hard to believe in what you see, he said softly, when it's not what you know must be true. Come on, I'll take you home. 
I shivered and didn't answer him as I got back into the car, and he drove me back down the track and, and then up the main driveway to our house. And it wasn't until I'd gotten out and he was driving away that I realized I never even told him where I lived. The sky was clear that night, was just a sliver of moon, and the Milky Way was a sweep of white across the sky, so clear that you could believe that it was a road, like some of the Indians thought, that you could ride a horse up onto it and ride up into that sky. Hey, it's gonna rain tomorrow. Uncle Kenny had dropped by for dinner, like he did just about every night. Can't you tell? I'd sure take it if it came. Dad popped another beer. Hell, I'd pay the man. He helped himself to a slice of meatloaf. Pass me the potato, Sandy. I tell you we found the Rojas kid's car, Uncle Kenny said, back on the sagebrush up on Whitehorse Creek. No sign of him. Julio? Mom paused, the steaming bowl of potatoes in her hands. He went back to Oaxaca. Guess not. Uncle Kenny forked meatloaf onto his place. Drug deal gone bad is my guess. We'll probably never find the body. No. Don't kid yourself, Sandy. My uncle chewed, reached for his beer. He was selling. Everybody knew. You're kidding. Dad tilted the beer can to his lips. He was a hard worker. I gotta say that for the kid. Worth the money I paid him, and that's rare enough. He was selling marijuana, Uncle Kenny said patiently. Yeah, you said. But he was a good worker. You gonna hold on to those potatoes all night? Mum looked down at the bowl she still held. With a jerky movement, she set it down in front of Dad. Who wants pie? She asked in a bright, brittle voice and carried her untouched plate into the kitchen without waiting for an answer. Uncle Kenny finished his dinner and went over to click through the TV channels. Dad opened up another beer and sat at the table staring at the cooling meatloaf. When Mum didn't show up with the pie, I slipped out of the house and walked up the rise behind the barn. You could see over toward the spring range from up here. Julio had sat up here with me some nights. He taught me how to chord on his guitar and told me stories about being a kid in Oaxaca. I was about to go back to the house when I spotted a light on the lip of the narrow draw that cut through the range. Water only ran in it in the winter, but willow grew in the bottom and the mule deer hung out there. The rainmaker's camp, I thought. A road stuck out the side of the draw. Julio had sat there to play his guitar. I found a bunch of wilted flowers in that rock once back when winter was just ending. When I finally went back inside, Mum shoved a two big piece of apple pie at me and didn't even ask me where I'd been. Sky clouding up yet? Smelling rain in the air? Uncle Kenny laughed and forked pie into his mouth, but the look he gave me stung like a flick of a quirt. I told Mum I was tired and went up to bed. He's in love, I heard Uncle Kenny say as he climbed the stairs. He's got all the signs. I got onto the bed, but it was still hot up here, even with the fan on. I turned the light off and just lay on top of my sheets in my t-shirt and shorts. When I heard Mom's footsteps on the stairs, I realized I'd been waiting for her to come up. I pulled a sheet over me and sat up in the dark. You okay? She didn't turn on the light. I'm fine. I felt the edge of the bed sink as she sat down. For a while, she just sat there. It wasn't a drug deal, she said at last. Julio didn't do that kind of thing. He was so lonely. Her voice faltered. He was in love with a girl. Made up songs for her and, and, and played them for me. Do you remember when he said he was going to Mexico? I asked. I guess he said something to, to your father while, 
while they were working. She brushed the hair off my forehead like she did when I was sick. I thought he'd say goodbye, she said softly. Donnie, what happened between you and Kenny? Nothing. I was glad it was dark. This is a hard place to live, she stood up. He's a good man, Donnie, even if he has to be hard at times. Justice means everything to him. That's why he's good for the county. I didn't have anything to say to that. She took her hand away and stood up without saying anything more. I lay on my back staring up at the ceiling for a long time after she went downstairs, thinking about the rain and how we remember yesterday to suit today. I kept trying to feel the weather the way I had this afternoon, but I couldn't do it. I heard my uncle drive away in his county jeep. I heard my parents come upstairs to bed. Dad stumbled on the stairs and Mom said something in that coaxing tone she uses when a cow is having trouble calving. I waited until their door closed. Then I got up and went to the window. It was cool outside now and the stars still glittered. I leaned over the sill into the night, straining to feel distant rain pressing against the air, pushing at it. I waked before the sun was up and left the house just as it got light. The eastern sky went from pink to soft gray and finally blue as I followed the draw down across the east pasture to where the rainmaker was camped. When it rained, the draw filled up with water. Fast. My dad and I had had to ride out in a freak storm one spring to move cattle out from where they'd holed up in the bottom before it flooded. I remember that afternoon real well, lightning breaking across the sky in blue forks, the horses snorting and trying to bolt, the cattle milling, not wanting to leave the willow brush. Uncle Kenny had showed up on his rangy black Mustang to help, still in uniform because he was on duty. The three of us had finally gotten the twenty or so cows and calves moving, just as a wave of brown water had come foaming down the bed. It had caught my pony's back legs. He had reared, and I knew we were goners. Then Uncle Kenny had grabbed the reins and hauled us both out of the water. Too cold for swimming, he said and laughed. I climbed up the far bank, past the rock where Julio had played, and I'd found the flowers to the dusty Dodge caravan parked by a crooked juniper. The rainmaker was sitting on a little folded stool beside the car, a steaming mug in his hand. He smiled and nodded as I reached him and stood up as if he'd been waiting for me to show. You can tell me the good place for breakfast he said. The good place, he'd said. I thought about that. The spur, I told him. The parking lot was crowded. The rainmaker didn't say anything as he pulled into a space at the edge of the lot. He turned off the engine and started to open the door. Are you for real? I asked. My voice sounded too loud or too soft. I, I wasn't sure which. What are you really asking me? He looked at me and it was like I could feel his eyes boring into me. I just wanted to know if you could really call the rain. Do I have to mean anything else? The rainmaker simply sat there with his hands on the wheel, waiting. I could feel my face getting hot. Julio, this, this guy, he told me he used to see his cousin's ghost, I said. He said they had a special day for the dead, a party, and they came. It was no big deal, I swallowed. What's it like? To see stuff. 
His shoulders drooped the way moms did when dad had to take out a loan to pay the hay bill. Lonely. He opened the door suddenly, letting in a gust of hot, dusty wind. Let's go eat breakfast. I wasn't sure if he'd answered me or not, but I didn't say anything as we went inside. It was crowded. The boots and formica-topped tables were mostly full, and cigarette smoke drifted beneath the wagon wheel lights and the yellow globes. It felt like evening instead of bright morning, and it got quiet while the waitress hustled us over to a table. I recognized a couple of faces from the motel parking lot yesterday, and Uncle Kenny was there, drinking coffee in a booth by the door, where he could see the whole room. He was sitting with one of his deputies, and I could feel him looking at me as I walked past. I sat down with my back to him and, and stared at the type menu in its plastic sleeve. I wasn't very hungry. Can I have a coffee, please? I asked the impatient waitress, and a cinnamon roll. The rainmaker ordered the breakfast special, steak and eggs with hash browns and toast. He looked up at the waitress, bustled away, and Uncle Kenny took her place. Good morning, Sheriff. He smiled a bland, tired kind of smile. It ain't raining. Uncle Kenny pulled a chair up, out with a scrape that sounded way too loud in the utter silence that now filled the room. The rain didn't hear you call, huh? Tonight, the rainmaker added cream to his coffee. You so sure, huh? Uncle Kenny shook his head. I'm impressed. Guess I'll have to pay then. Yeah. The rainmaker leaned back a little as the waitress plunged the big oval platter with the steak and eggs down in front of him, set down a smaller plate piled with toast, and whipped the coffee pot over his cup. She didn't feel mine, gave me a dirty look like I was drinking whiskey and not coffee as she paraded away. Well, I'm good for it, but I'm not too worried about my bank account yet. Uncle winked around the restaurant, got a chorus of chuckles. No need to be worried. The rainmaker cut a precise triangle of steak. Nothing is certain in real life. He placed the meat neatly in his mouth and reached for his coffee. The fee is $1,000. You promised me triple that which comes out to $3,000. Uncle Kenny turned his back on us. Four grand if it rains by sunrise. Uncle Kenny! I spoke up as he started to leave. I wasn't sure he'd stop. He'd acted like I was invisible the whole time, but he did stop. His eyes were as unreadable as if he was wearing his sunglasses. Did you find Julio's body? I asked. Not yet, Donny boy. He didn't smile. Guess the coyotes cleaned up the mess for me. He turned on his heel and walked away. At the door, he paused. You're all invited to the rain party. He gave the room one last grin that seemed to focus on every person there. Since I'm paying, it's my party. Take the gate just west of the highway motel on the north side of the highway. Look for my rig on the road. And don't forget your umbrellas. He pushed through the door and I heard his car start up outside. The rainmaker didn't seem to notice the stairs as he, ate, as he ate his breakfast. I sat there turning my empty cup around and around, thinking about $4,000 and coyotes and, and wishing the waitress would give me more coffee. Finally, he was done and we got up to go. When the cashier told us he was $1.50 short, he looked up at her so sharp she flinched. He never got a cinnamon roll, he said with a nod in my direction. He had noticed and not said anything. I wasn't sure if I was pissed or not. The rainmaker drove me back home. Mom met me at the front door with her fists on her hips, face stiff with anger, as if I'd skipped my chores. Kenny told me where you were, her voice trembled. You go straight to your room, young man. 
Why? I blurted out the word angry myself now. What's wrong with having breakfast with... I couldn't remember his name. With the Rainmaker, I finished lamely. He's a crook, she got angrier. Where are your brains? He's not a crook. He's cheating people. He hasn't cheated anyone yet, but Uncle Kenny calls him a crook, so he's a crook. I stomped out of the kitchen and up the stairs into my room, slammed the door and threw myself down on the bed. Mad at her. Mad at myself. Because $4,000 was a lot of money. And maybe it would just rain because weather was weird like that and you couldn't really predict it. Like rolling dice. I thought about how many counties there were and how many dry states. And I thought about that dice roll and how few times you had to win to maybe make a living. I lay on the bed and watched the sun move across the cloudless sky, sweating in the still heat. Mom didn't come upstairs. I realized I was waiting for her, and that hurt, too. I guess I fell asleep after a while because the light was on when I woke up and Mom was setting a tray on my desk. I brought your dinner up. Aren't you feeling well? She straightened, pushing wisps of her hair back from her forehead. Must be Nanny up here. Why didn't you turn on the fan? She snapped on the old box fan, her fingers brisk and impatient on the switch. The sudden gust of air felt cool on my face, and I imagined for a second that I could smell rain, the way the animals can. I got up and went to the other window. The sky was full of stars, and my stomach closed up like a fist. Your uncle went down to where that man is camped. Mom sounded uneasy. He's worried that a lot of people might show up. That they might get rowdy. You mean they might beat up the rainmaker? I didn't look at her. If they do, it'll be because he wanted them to. He told them to show up. Don't you get it, Mom? I was yelling now. People always do what he wants them to do. She slapped me. I didn't hear it. Just felt the hot pain in my cheek. It sort of crashed through me, clear down in my feet. She'd never hit me before, not that I could remember. For an instant, we were just staring at each other. Her face was wide. Don't talk about your uncle like that. She spoke in a tight, dry whisper. We couldn't make it without him. I couldn't make it. For a moment longer, she stared at me, her throat working. Then she spun and ran out of the room. I went over to the window, that fist squeezing my gut again. Looked out, to the west, in the direction of the distant ocean. The stars ended in a band of pure blackness above the horizon. I felt the fist in my stomach loosen a hair, fixed my eyes on a small pair of dim stars. They vanished. A twinkling yellow star about them vanished a moment later. Mom! I yelled down the stairs. Clouds! She came back to stand silently beside me at the window. I heard a swallow. Your dad was going to haul the heifers to auction tomorrow. We went downstairs together. Tiptoeing through the living room where my dad snored on the sofa, one hand loosely curled around a can of beer. I'd never heard him snore before. His face looked soft and flush, beaded with sweat. Dad? I stopped. He's all right. Mom's face was as still as a winter pond before a flight of ducks lands. He's just drunk. Her voice was without inflection. I remember his uncertain tread on the stairs every night. And her tone as she spoke to him. I thought Mom would take the truck, but she walked into the sage as sure in the moonlight as if she came this way every day. 
I stumbled after her, tripping over sage stems and clumps of grass. I didn't catch up with her until she reached the lip of the draw. The moon had vanished now, but the rainmaker's camp was visible in the light from a single propane lantern. At least a dozen men milled in a loose circle around the rainmaker. I recognized Uncle Kenny. He wasn't in his uniform. Suddenly, he stepped forward, one hand closing on the front of the rainmaker's shirt, lifting him onto his toes. You think we're a bunch of dumb cowboys, don't you? His voice came to me on the wind, edged with violence. We'll just grin and shuffle our feet and hand over our money to you, because you're so smart and we're just stupid hicks. The men around them growled and shuffled forwards as if they were puppets, and he'd yanked all the strings at once. I took a step forward, caught my toe in a sage root, and fell flat on my face. Eyes full of grit, I struggled to my knees, spitting dust. I knew what was going to happen. I'd seen it happen before. My face was wet, and I wiped it on my sleeve. Crying, I thought, as I staggered to my feet. I'm not crying. Kenny! Mom's voice was shrill and strange, and down below, my uncle paused, his fists drawn back, his other hand clutching the rainmaker's shirt front. He looked up at her. More water hit my face. Cold water. I looked up and laughed. It was raining? The sky was black, and the rain started to fall hard now, coming down in sheets that pounded on the dry ground and made the sage shiver. Below, the bunched... Angry men were milling like nervous cattle. Uncle Kenny still held the rainmaker by the shirt, but he had lowered his hand. My mom was running down to him, her wet hair plastered to her head. She looked like a kid, and I realized suddenly how old my dad was. One of the men whooped, and someone pounded the rainmaker's back. By the time I got to the rainmaker's camp, I was soaked to the skin. People were still hanging around. They were watching the first streams of muddy water run down the bottom of the draw. I looked down at the rock where Julio used to play, and for a moment, I thought I saw him there with his guitar. Then lightning flashed, and I blinked, blinded by an afterimage of rock and wet clay and sage. I looked at my mom, and she was staring at that rock, too, with her hands pressed tight against her chest like she hurt inside. I guess I'll lose, Uncle Kenny drawled. He pulled his wallet out of his hip pocket and everybody got quiet. One hundred. Two hundred. He started counting out the bills, his tone easy, like he was some city rich guy and the money didn't really matter. Hey, wait up! Hiram Belker, our neighbor, fished his wallet out of his pocket. I'm getting some of this here rain, too! He fingered a sheaf of bills out of the leather, handed them to the rainmaker. The other men were getting out their wallets, too, shoving wet bills at him. Water was starting to fill the draw brown and foamy like chocolate milk pouring down through the culvert under the highway into the low land beyond. I looked down at the rock again, thinking about the flowers and my mom running down through the sage like she knew the way, and my uncle's hard pry that was what you needed in this hard land, and I could almost feel the water like I'd felt the weather. I could feel it running over the dry soil, working at the loose spots under that rock. Thin stream welled over a low berm of silt and stones from the last winter's floods, pushed a handful of pebbles out of the way. I wanted it to do this. The water lapped at the base of the rock. Small stones tumbled down the slope, and the flood welled higher, eating at the clay beneath the rock. Uncle Kenny stepped up beside me, not noticing me, his eyes on that dissolving bank. 
He'd put his wallet away and his shoulders were hunched against the rain, or as if he'd expected someone to hit him. The rock shelf tilted and I heard him take a fast, short breath. It tilted some more, slid very slowly into the churning water, smashing flat the sparse willow stems that lined the sides. Something showed in the hole left in the bank. Something not dirt-colored. Look! I yelled. Donald, his hand closed tight on my shoulder. It was the first time he'd ever called me by my given name that I could remember. I swallowed and I didn't look at him, ignoring the pain. Down there, I pointed. On the bank! I guess a couple of people looked because someone broke away from the crowd and walked along the lip of the draw. Hat pulled down against a still steady rain, water pouring off his slicker. Mr. Walker, owner of the Bar Double D, had stopped and stood still for a moment. It's a body, he yelled to us. My God, Ken, someone's buried here. Everybody was running over. Boots splashed through the sudden mud, a half a dozen tall shapes and slickers and pulled down hats. My uncle didn't go, neither did my mom. They were both looking at me. It's Julio, I said. My mom's face didn't change, but she made a small sound like a hurt animal. You're so sure, huh? My uncle spoke up in that slow, lazy drawl he uses when he breaks up a fight. What did you do, Donnie? Kill the poor bastard over some girl? He laughed and turned to my mom. I didn't kill him! My voice wouldn't get any louder than a whisper. You did. He stiffened, then relaxed. Thanks a lot, kid. He shook his head. See if you ride with me again. Kenny? Mom's voice quavered. Oh, come on, sis. He was impatient now. I wasn't even outside the night Julio disappeared. Dave and I got drinking, remember? I stayed over and helped move the steers down to the South Range in the morning. You told me Julio was gone when we came in to eat lunch. God, he chuckled. Dave was so hungover, I thought he'd fall off that damn roan of his. I could feel my uncle's words turning solid in the air, reaching back over the weeks to change yesterday. Mom was staring at him, and I thought a drowning person would look like that. I... Yes, I, I guess, she said. I, I remember telling you at lunch. He didn't sleep over. I grabbed her arm. He came back in the morning. That's not how it was. Donnie, Mom whispered. Don't. You trying to make trouble, kid? Uncle Kenny was smiling at me, but his eyes were like broken pieces of mirrored sunglasses. Uncle Kenny had saved me when the flood almost caught my pony. He helped us a lot. When Dad was drunk, all the time, we couldn't make it without him. I couldn't make it. I heard my mother's voice. Words took shape in my throat, stuck there like fish bones. Oh yeah, I remember now. You slept over. Sorry, Uncle Kenny. The rainmaker was looking at me, and he looked sad. What was it like, I'd asked him, to see things. Julio had taught me how to chord on his old, battered guitar. He had laughed and missed the girl he had loved. I swallowed. I saw you, Uncle Kenny. My voice was shaky, but I said it loud. I was up in the sage. I couldn't sleep. People were close enough to hear now. I didn't look at them. I saw you dig a hole. Julio was lying on the ground. I guess he was already dead. For a moment, my uncle stared at me, his face all edges, as if the flesh had eroded away, leaving nothing but bone. You're nuts, kid. I was sleeping on your sofa and you were dreaming. Ask your mom. <laughs> his laugh sounded like something breaking. 
You're the crazy kid who says the desert talks to him. She had told him. I couldn't look at her. Couldn't look at any of them. I wondered if he'd told his buddies, chuckling about it over a beer maybe, in the spur at night. The rain was running into my eyes, but I didn't try to wipe my face. Just stood there waiting for her to agree with him, because I was only a crazy kid who listened to the desert and my mom needed him because dad was passed out on the sofa and there were the cattle to deal with. He's not crazy, Ken. Mom spoke softly. And he's right. Her voice was as fragile as a withered flower petaled. You left. I remember because I had a hard time getting Dave up the stairs by myself that night. Why, Ken? Her voice cracked and broke. Oh my God, why would you do it? I didn't do nothing, sis. Maybe you did. My uncle looked around at the wet, slickered statue surrounding him. Nice that you can count on your family to back you up, huh? He turned away abruptly and slogged back toward the road. The men who had come out here to beat up the rainmaker and had gotten out their money stood silently in the downpour, not saying a word, not looking at each other. One by one they turned away from us, slopped after him up the road. At last, only the rainmaker was left. He stood there looking at me, hatless in the rain, his face as round and calm as the moon. Donnie? My mom's voice trembled. Julio used to play his guitar for me. She closed her eyes briefly as we heard Uncle Kenny's jeep start up. He was so young and full of hope. He made up songs for his girlfriend and I listened to him. That's all that happened between us. I swear it. I couldn't speak. There wasn't anything inside of me. Just night and rain. After a moment, Mom turned away. I watched her trudge toward the road after Uncle Kenny. You couldn't cross the drawer anymore. She would have had to take the long way home, back to the empty house where my dad snored on the sofa. I flinched as the rainmaker put a hand on my shoulder. Did you really call it? I whispered. He put a hand on my shoulder, a sad look on his face. Yes, he said. I called it. He squeezed my shoulder hard and then walked over to his stupid car that didn't belong in the desert and began to stow his wet camping gear. I went up to the road because you couldn't cross the draw. Mom was waiting for me, hugging herself in the pouring rain. We need to call the state police, she said softly. You tell your story to him. I took her hand. It was as cold as the rain. I used to listen to Julio play too, I said. He was really good. She nodded but didn't speak as we walked along the road to our driveway together. The rain diminished to a slow, steady shower. Don't forget, copyright is Mary Rosenblum. Mary, again, thank you so much for that story. We have more by Mary Rosenblum coming up soon. Narration today was by Paul Kajiji. Paul is the narrator that completed the Terry Bison story, Bears Discover Fire, a grand fine story as well. Paul, thank you so much for this. I've just had one through on email come through today as well by Paul. So again, Paul, thank you. You can find Paul's work at his blog and podcast, The Process Diary. Links again on the site. 
Sydney-based video editor and 3D motion graphics designer, currently working on a short sci-fi anime vidcast series entitled Character Development. So again, like I mentioned on the Terry Bison short story, I've been over there and trolled Paul's site. Paul's fantastic, to be quite honest. Well worth a look. Don't forget, if you want to drop a donation, my heart goes out to you. <laughs> I would love that. Thank you very much for that. If you need to get in touch with me, please send emails. I'd love that. Starshipsover at gmail.com. Don't forget, if you want a flash fiction, it's now being raised up to 1,500 words. We are getting some guidelines sorted out, so you can go on the website and check them out. But 1,500 words, sci-fi, fantasy, a little bit of horror, not too much. <laughs> that would be great. Send them to starshipsover at gmail.com. If you haven't signed up for the forums, why not? Please do that. And, you know, I've got to plug the back shows. Please pop over to the website, starshipsofa.com. Check out the shop and have a look at the back shows. See if there's a writer there you're interested in maybe reading. Check out to see if we've actually covered them. And please, by all means, spend away. So that kind of wraps up Oral Delights this week. Just to remind you, there will be a new show coming soon, very, very soon. It's all in the process now of getting worked out and how to kind of manage it. I have a nice name for it. Well, I have up to now whether I change that name or not. I'll wait and see. But look out for that. I hope you'll join me again next week for Oral Delights. Until then, my good friends, I'd just like to say good night from me. survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Starship Sofa. Evacuation procedure initiated. Shuttle set for launch. Airlock will be opened in three, two, one.